0: you know, and all of this incredible display of talent that we've seen tonight, this one-act musical, it was actually simply trying to ask one question. Just one question. After pushing your way through all of the shopping that you're going to do for Christmas, amid all of the lights and amid all of the carols that are being sung. Isn't Christmas really about the birth of Jesus? And here's the question they're raising. If sacred Christmas is really about the birth of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Can somebody please tell me what are the practical implications of that birth to my life now? Or what might it be if I would believe? That's the question that they were raising for the last few moments. So let's explore that question together. I want to encourage you, uh, we're going to read a little bit of the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Would you just stand and gives you a chance to both honor the reading of God's word and stretch at the same time. (laughs) Listen to this passage beginning at verse 11. The angel has broken into the world of the shepherds and here's what he says. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Everybody say to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth. Peace. Shout peace. Peace, peace to those to whom his favor rests. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. God bless you. These next few moments, fill them with your spirit and work a miracle for us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to suggest tonight that regardless of your religious background, that Christmas offers to all of us a remarkable gift. And it comes on at least three levels of our lives. The first gift that Christmas offer, as it is connected to the birth of Jesus, is that it affirms the deep need that we have to believe in the impossible. Everybody say impossible. I was just reading the other day and I learned that the latest Star Wars episode, Rogue One, which I've seen twice now, <laughs> it's estimated that it will, uh, it will bring in at the box office more than $1 billion around the world. As a matter of fact, Disney has five major hits that by the time we end the year, they will have broken a box office record of more than $7 billion worldwide. Now, what row One reminds us of, and these other major movies, if you look at them, you'll find that they, they fit this description, is that they remind us that no matter where you live on the globe, what language you speak, what religion is in your background, that every one of us, We have a deep need to believe in the impossible. That's what's so thrilling and so exciting. That's what draws us to these movies. Now, everybody say spoiler alert. Say it. Just a little spoiler alert. (laughs) What's really remarkable about the movie Rogue One is that At the very heart of the story that's unfolding is that there's a group of folk who, after everybody has said that this particular assignment is totally impossible, there's this small group of people who believe, ultimately, it's possible, and they proceed to try to accomplish it, and at the end of it all, they accomplish this impossible mission, but not by themselves. They actually have the force that is with them. <laughs> as I think about that, isn't it true that as you think about your own life, you think about what you learned in school, you think about what you know about the world, isn't it true that, that deep down inside, we all have a, we all have a, a need to, to believe in the impossible? The impossible. I mean, all over the world, whatever language you use, that when you talk about the body in different uh, historical contexts, we don't just talk about the body and the brain. We talk about the mind. We talk about the soul. We talk about the spirit. That, that's this need that we have to believe that there's more to us than flesh and blood, isn't there? And, 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 and we all know that we're going to die. But isn't there a need within us to believe that death won't have the last word? That somehow life is going to triumph. And yes, everywhere you look, it's disguised in all kinds of languages. But at the end of the day, there's a need to believe that there is a a force outside of us, a benevolent good, a deity, the Philosophers call him the, the non-contingent being, the unmoved mover. I, I just call him God, y'all. But, 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 but there is a need to know that, that, that there is someone beyond us and that, and that we're not having to accomplish this all by ourselves, that he is for us and he is with us. Don't you have that need? Well... In the Christmas story, St. Luke tells us that this instinct to believe in the impossible is not a misguided instinct. He says, he shares this story about how the impossible actually broke into the world of the shepherds, and the angel showed up and he began to declare to them that today in the town named after David Bethlehem in that town in his town a savior has been born and he has been born to you come on say to you now actually find two or three people around you say to you to you to you tell them translation, the Savior has been born for you. This is shocking for the shepherds. This is an impossibility because the shepherds are not really religious. They are marginalized, poor people. They are They are mixed in with the shepherds are criminals. And, 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 you know, the shepherds, they don't get to go to the temple or the synagogue. I mean, they stay out with the sheep. They drip with dirt. They smell like sheep. And the impossible breaks into their reality and says, the Savior has been born for you. Not the priest, not the influential one, not the high and mighty, but you. And what that insight teaches us, what Luke says, is you can believe in Christmas, shaped in the birth of Jesus. If you can believe in God, if you would dare to believe in Jesus, you can believe in the impossible, for it has come. And if it came 2,000 years ago, the God that was disclosed, he is alive today. And he's still doing the impossible among us. (laughs) It was the impossible. A father and son finally embraces, you know, finally embraces The second thing that I think that Christmas teaches us that I I find to be incredible connected to the birth of Jesus is that it points us to a love that is everlasting and one that we can trust. Shout the word trust. Trust. You know, one of my favorite new Christmas traditions is to watch the movie... Love Actually. And Love Actually has made a song, a a number of songs popular. And one of them is a song written by the Beatles that's entitled All You Need Is Love. Maybe even as I said, you can hear that, that peppy little melody going on in your mind. It's a great song. I love listening to it. But I guess the question I have is does it really square with your experience that all you need is love? I mean, aren't there some among us tonight, you found love, but it betrayed you? Aren't there some among us tonight, you, you actually had love, but she or he abandoned you? If not for another person, at least to pursue another dream? Are there perhaps some among us tonight, I know this to be true, that you had love? But because of the weight of your imperfections and the mistakes that you just keep making and the flaws that are in your life, that love just melted under the weight of that imperfection and he or she just gave up on you. And the truth be told, if you were asked about it, you would say they were justified in giving up on you. The point I'm trying to make is, actually, I don't just need love. I need a love I can trust. (laughs) The shepherd said, Unto you today is born the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And here's a sign you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Here's the extraordinary message of that, right? That the God who is often so feared that that in the Old Testament showed up in fire, that showed up shaking the earth, that the God that is often equated solely with judgment, that that God shows up as a baby. Who can't trust a baby? That God shows up as a, as, a, as, a, as a vulnerable baby who can't embrace a baby. And that baby grows up and expresses a trustworthy love as he feeds the hungry and clothes the naked, and ultimately he dies on the cross for you in your place and in my place. And he because he who was righteous becomes sin, so that we might become righteousness. He, uh, uh, he, ex- he experiences death so that we might have eternal life. He takes on our sins so that we might know forgiveness. Now that's a trustworthy love. Let me try to explain it in a different way. What makes Jesus's love so trustworthy? Come on, ask somebody, what, what does it? Ask them. You didn't ask them loud enough. Ask them a little louder. <laughs> Tell them I'm glad you asked. It's the ingredients. Ingredients. Anybody here know about gumbo? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of us own Christmas, we eat gumbo. Now, I've had some really good gumbo. And I've had some so-so gumbo. Now I'm gonna tell you the difference between the good gumbo and the so-so gumbo is what's in it, right? I mean, good good gumbo. The broth is really rich. It has bell pepper. It has celery. Come on now. It it, it has onions chopped up in that booker. Come on. Uh, it's got the salt and the pepper and it got all that and it's a thick broth. And then if you really know what you're doing, you put it in a big, big, big old pot and then you get some, some chicken. Come on now, drop that in there. And then you get some hot links. Chop it up, drop that in there. And then you get some crab. Get all the crab, y'all, the leg, everything. Drop that in there. Then you get some shrimp. Come on, clean it first, then drop that in there. Come on now. And you put that, that, that that'll make you slap somebody. That's good gumbo. That's what's unique about Jesus' love. He has gumbo love. He has gumbo love. He has gumbo love. The broth of the love that Jesus brings to the world, it's, it's, it's made of unconditionality. There's no conditions that creates his broth, y'all. And then he cuts up a whole lot of forgiveness and dumps that in there. And then he brings some grace and he dumps that in there. And then he brings some mercy and he dumps that in there. And when you eat of his gumbo love, you can't be the same. It's trustworthy. That's what the couple was talking about. Do you remember the couple that was dancing, the Allen's, and they talked about how they went to church and they met Jesus and to change them? All they were simply saying was this: that when they when they when they encountered Jesus and they believed and accepted the love that He brought to them, they found in that gumbo love unconditionality. They found in that gumbo love a grace, unmerited favor. They found in that gumbo love a mercy that, that was poured out into their lives. They found in that gumbo love a forgiveness that never ran out. And when they found that and ate of that, it turned them into gumbo lovers that they started to love each other with mercy, with unconditionality, with grace, with forgiveness, and that's what turned their marriage around. That's how Jesus connects y'all. Then here's where I end. The real miracle is this is a short message tonight. Christmas says it's okay to believe in the impossible. The impossible happened and it happens. Christmas says there is a love that is trustworthy. And his name is Jesus. And Christmas says... That you can actually, in a broken world, have peace. Glory to God in the highest, that's what the angel declared. And upon earth, he says, peace to all those for whom the favor of God rests. Now, when you read it, it makes it, sound like, it makes it sound like God has some favorite people. That's not the point of the text. The point of the text, let me illustrate to the point of the text. Notice when, when, the, when, the, when the scripture, when the angel started off, he said, he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Everybody say, Lord. Lord. Now, here's something else about human nature. We instinctively reject the lordship of God. For those of us who are not connected to faith, here's how we talk about it. We talk about it this way. I don't want anybody telling me what to do, what I can do, what I cannot do. For those of us who are are connected to faith, we talk about it a little different. We disguise it, this need to be uh, in total charge of our lives. Uh, We disguise it differently. Here's how we describe it. Here's what we say to Jesus. We say, you know, everything you tell us to do, we're doing it so that at the end of the day, because we did what you said to do, you now have to do what we want you to do. And, 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 and whether we're irreligious or religious, Christian or not Christian, there's something in us that causes us to struggle with God. Struggle, we want our way. We're pulling against God. <laughs> and the very thing that makes us struggle with God, the need to control my will, is the very thing that makes us struggle with each other. Father against son, spouse against spouse. I want to be in charge of me. But did you see what happened to that father? He finally came to a point where he was willing to admit his own weaknesses and his own faults. He finally came to a point where he was willing to concede his own pride, he finally came to a point where he was was willing to say, you know what, I'm going to learn to love without trying to control. And at first begins, that's what it means that when I come to Jesus and I say, I'm going to allow you to be Lord, there's two things that can happen. I can say, well, just forget it and walk away. But that's not surrender. That's rejection. That's saying, I don't want to struggle anymore. I'll, I'll just die on my own. I'll do it my own way. But what pleases God, what allows God to exert His authority and drive His purpose in your life, is when you're struggling. And finally, what's going to give you peace is when you finally say, I stop and I surrender. God stretches his authority over your life. And he says, now I'm pleased with you. I can have my way in your life. And that same power to surrender there that gives you peace, you can now bring those skills and you can, you can do it with your son and with your spouse. You say, oh, I, I know. I can own my faults and my mistakes. I can... I can let go of of my pride. I can learn to love you without trying to control you. And that's what the father did over there. And as the father did that over there, the son that was looking, you guys can go, the son that was looking was moved by that example. And the peace that happened in the father happened in the son and the miracle of that brace in- occurred. Jesus is not just baby, He's Lord. And if you want Him to change your life, stop trying to control Him, stop rejecting Him, but take the tools and the lessons. Of being able to acknowledge my wrongs, release my pride, love without control, and let him be Lord. It will change your life and give you the tools to bring peace to the world. And when you have peace, you are healed. And when you get healing, you get a joy that nobody can take away. Say amen. amen. Give God a hand praise. you. have got some connection cards. I want you to look at them right now. In the front of the card, you've got some next steps. For some people, you can say... I want to say yes to Jesus. Or you can say, I'm not sure I want to say yes, but I want to learn more. Either of those is a step of faith. And there are other steps there you can take. But here's the real question. Some of you, you desperately need peace tonight. And I challenge you as the choir sings, I challenge you to listen and see, can you work up the courage to write this sentence? Simply write tonight, Lord, I surrender. And if you do it tonight and you start doing it every day, the one born on that first Christmas night will change your life.